This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be Nation pop experience. Welcome back to Pop Goes the Classics, your look back at the Disney full-length animated features over the years in theatrical release order. I am Andy Allison, one of your trials. It's good to be back here with my two compadres. We're talking about a film from the early 2000s, actually 2002 to be more specific. There were uh, a couple of films, actually, that year. We've already talked about Lilo and Stitch, which came out in June of that year. This one was released in November of that year. What film is that? Well, we'll get to that in just a moment. Let me first bring in my tri-host from the warmer climate. We always talk about weather when we start on here for some reason. Everybody's warmer than me here in Connecticut because it is cold and we've had some snow. But from sunny, hopefully sunny Las Vegas, Steve Riddle. Steve, how are you? I'm doing good. Yes, it is a very uh, it is a sunny day. Um, I, I, I usually I always feel bad when I talk about how warm it is here, knowing you you're you know freezing your ass off there in Connecticut. <laughs> but it is um, it is almost we are probably going to be flirting with the 70s today. So it is a very nice uh, mild uh, February Sunday here. And uh, yeah, I'm interested to talk about the film or this uh, film we're going to be doing today. And um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I feel like I'm on the move for a little bit of a treasure hunt. Yeah, yeah, I saw what you did there. Um, you know, maybe amongst the planets. Uh, speaking of planets, uh, this next person out of this world, all the way from the Czech Republic, Miranda Berthold. Miranda, how are you? Hi. Um, I'm good. It is, it is cold here, but sunny. So I have like a little bit of Steve and a little bit of Andy. <laughs> 40 good. with sun. And I'll, you know, it is what it is. So. Well, it is sunny here. It's just 36 degrees right now with snow on the ground, so... No snow. No snow. Today, the high was, I think it was like 45. I mean, the sun was nice enough that, like, I opened windows and doors and just kind of did a quick, like, hey, let's breathe better in here. Mm. Now, yesterday, we actually had uh, some snow, and it was, like, very... It was, like, flurrying. Like, it it was... You are like... um, Flying the Millennium Falcon and jumping to light speed. You ever do that when like you're that in a snowy me weather? That was as a kid when we were driving down the road and it was like coming at the windshield and I'd be like, do do do. Yes. <laughs> we're not talking about Star Wars. That is another podcast of mine, which I will plug later on at the, towards the end of the show. But we are, like I said, going back to 2002, November 7th, 27th, for the 39th full-length anime feature in the Disney canon. It is Treasure Planet. This one. Uh, yeah, not as well remembered as, as most, and there are plenty of reasons for this one. Um, it was directed by Ron Clements and John Musker, has a really good pedigree there. You know, they did, um, you know, Aladdin, Great Mouse Detective, Little Mermaid, Hercules. They actually go on to do Princess and the Frog and Moana, but this one mm, didn't hit as much. And the voice cast on this includes Joseph Gordon Levitt, Emma Thompson, uh-huh. Martin Short, Roscoe Lee Brown. Corey Burton, Tony Jay, um, uh, Michael McShane, David Hyde Pierce, Brian Murray. Lots of great voice work actually Fantastic. in this yeah. in this in this movie actually. But it eh, it doesn't really hit the way I think they intended. I think it was too it leaned too far 
into uh, boys, I think, a little bit much. Um, can I can I just go ahead and say real quick? I think it was yeah. the wrong time for this movie. Yes, and and there are there are some other issues which I which I will bring up as well. But uh, Miranda, we'll start with you. Now mm-hmm. you're the big reader of mm-hmm. your more of Place to Be Nation. You co-host Bells with Books, a very great mm-hmm. uh, podcast with Bianca. Thank you. And Thank you. what are you, what were your thoughts on this? Because Treasure Island is a beloved story. And it is. it's been put on film many times. I think I saw the live action Disney one that was from I believe it was from like the fifties or sixties. I I did see I did see that at one point in my life. I don't remember seeing it, you know, since I was a kid probably. Same. I, I only saw I think this movie once. I don't know if I saw it in theaters. Um, but I have a, a preferred favorite uh interpretation of this story and, and I think you can guess. What one okay. that is? Since since and it's, it's probably uh, my to, favorite too. Since it has to do with a podcast you and I co-host uh, separately yeah. about this, but since you're the reader, talk about your excite. If you were excited for this, for this story to be put on film again, and and your thoughts, general thoughts going into this movie. So I'm going to be very honest and say that I was trying to think back on when I saw this movie and how I or when I saw this movie initially, right. Um, and I genuinely couldn't remember. So I also couldn't remember how I felt going into it. I I mean, I've seen it multiple times since it originally came out because um, we've talked about this before. I have a kid and, you know, I went through and I was actually also a nanny as well. So I've watched it with many uh, children. Um, <clears throat> but I just don't remember that initial in 2002. I would have been a senior in high school at the time. Um, but I mean, I went to see Lilo and Stitch, the movie we talked about before. In the theaters. So I don't know why I didn't see this one or why I don't remember it. But so with that being said, when it came out, I don't remember having a thought about like, oh, that's a fantastic book. Like, hope this adaptation is great Um, because I'm with you. And my favorite adaptation of this book is The Muppets. Yeah, from 1996. Exactly. It's the best ever. Hands down. I will not take arguments because if you say it's not... You're wrong. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Come on. It has a character named Spam in it. Come on. (laughs) It's one of the best. Sorry. They had to throw that apostrophe in the middle so they didn't get sued by Spam or Hormel, whoever makes Spam. Spam is good, too. I do like Spam as well. It's one of those processed foods that uh, I don't care if you say it's disgusting. You were wrong there, too. Um, (laughs) So I don't remember. But I do know that that is my favorite adaptation ever. Mm-hmm. As far yeah, as adaptations go, this one has been done multiple times. It's done, like you said, Disney did a live action. I think it was in the 50s or 60s. I also have watched it, but I don't remember a whole lot about it. I think it's been made for TV several times. Um, this one is more loosely based on the book than most adaptations. Yeah. Um, and I, I did... I did like what Disney does, um, but I don't. I don't know. It's not Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, the original came out in 1950 with mm-hmm. Charlton Heston. Right. Yeah. So. The book itself is. I mean, and they. I mean, book versus. Actually, no. Movie. There was a 1991. Sorry, with Charlton Heston. I uh, there was one in 1934. Yeah, the, the 1951 is night is is the, is the uh, Disney one. Yeah, it's um, Bobby Driscoll, who I believe was the voice 
of uh, Peter Pan. I think you're correct. Um, so there's like one in 34, there's one in 50, 96, and then 1990, and then I think there's some like made for TV versions. Um, apparently, Reddit has. I went to Reddit to see what they thought the best adaptation of this book was. And they have some disagreements over there. But um, I don't know. I So this book in itself, it is a good book. It is considered a classic, which uh, what is a classic book is subjective, I would say. But it is considered a classic. And I think it is even um, considered in some school systems required reads. Um, I remember really enjoying this book when I did read it as a kid. I, it's not one that I've gone back. It's not a classic, excuse me, it's not a classic or requi- required, ugh, words are hard, that I have reread, though. I read it, like, the one time, I think maybe I started reading it with Caden again when he was little. We did, like, the, you guys help me out here, you know where they, like, turn a chapter book into, like, a much smaller, desirable, like, Bite. Oh, like a Cliff Notes? Yeah, but it's for kids. Like it's yeah. it's it's not necessarily like Cliff Notes, but it's when they like yeah they, t- the they take like young, like young readers and they yeah make, yeah, they, yeah yeah so um I think the version that I reread years later with Caden was like one of those like young readers with pictures yeah almost like a magazine type thing <laughs> yeah yeah and it's a lot of fun um and mm-hmm. I think I think what you said earlier where you were like this movie is for boys i think the book kind of was written for yeah. young boys i think it, it was a it was a straight up adventure book for young boys um i don't think that's debatable some people may say it's not i mean if you're female and this is one of your favorite books or movies like i'm not saying it can't be for girls um i just i do agree with andy on this topic yeah. as far as the, the comparisons book to movie this one not as much it's very loosely based obviously <laughs> um some of the creatures and things that we're going to discuss but I think Disney did a a good job but like I said before I think it was the wrong time for the movie I really do and I also think this one would have been better had it been a Disney Pixar creation yeah I think so I mean I didn't, I, I remember, I'm thinking back now, so I didn't see it in theaters because I had a six-month-old at home, so I don't think I was going out to see an animated movie at that point uh, on my own. Um, Steve, what were your thoughts? Because um, you did review this for your wonderful reviews of Disney series on the website, but what were your thoughts on this and, and the uh, story, Treasure Island, in, in general? Um, I do remember reading the book at some point. Um, again, probably like Miranda, it was probably one of like required reading for when I was in school. So um, that I think was like one of the few times I have read it. I haven't read it. Um, I can say I definitely read it, haven't read it since. Um, I did not see this in theaters either. I probably don't even remember seeing any much in the way of um, advertising for this. Um, I know when it came out in the end of November at that point, I was, I actually would have been um, funnily enough, I would have been down at Disney um, Disney world specifically because I was on vacation with my family um, post Thanksgiving Um so I, I don't remember seeing I, if there was a lot of advertising around Disney for the for the film, um, and yeah, it, it was one of those ones that just kind of slipped through the cracks for me. Um, I had you know would see it occasionally, but never kind of watch it, um, or never had any really interest to watch it until, like you said, the wonderful reviews of Disney. And um, it's funny you mentioned about how you feel like it came out at the wrong time. I mean, I I kind of agree with that assessment. It feels very much 
it feels too similar to um to atlantis which, mm-hmm. we, which we've already done which only came out a year prior to this um so i think i think that was also an issue that was probably one of the other issues too and um nowadays it's like whereas atlantis has that you know kind of cult following behind it um i can't say the same about this about this film um i i will say i think you got to give disney some credit for at least taking a classic story and you know kind of giving it a little bit of a of a different take on it by them going into space mm-hmm. um you know i thought the um the effort was there and the um the heart was there to do so but um but yeah i think you you know, because I just think it just hit at the wrong time, and we're kind of we're gonna hit of this little this little stretch here with this one, and in particular our next two, maybe even three films, where not really the best time for Disney. Yeah, well, I I would disagree on the third one, uh, but I yeah I definitely agree on the first two, uh, in our in our upcoming next few. Um, for me, I don't know. I mean, it, it had to have been highly there there had to have been a bunch of marketing about this because this was their big holiday release right for that year because it comes out like right around thanksgiving mm-hmm. there might have been signage everywhere i mean it it, it kind of it's it's weird because it's like they, they took adventureland tomorrowland and kind of like tried to put them in a blender and see what comes out but also with all the the change going on in animation at the time when time so so this this movie has three different kinds of animation style in it the human characters are hand-drawn. John, Silver, Cyborg, Leg, Arm, Eye, and the robot Ben, who we'll, we meet later on, are flat-rendered CGI. The ship was used created was created using Disney's deep canvas process. And in some scenes, all three types of animation appear simultaneously. That is very ambitious, but also to me at times, it kind of takes me out. Because there's three different animation styles going on at the same time. And it's not like complete cg complete hand-drawn it it you know sometimes you'll see a little cg here and there where it it blends in this i think it's jarring to me and that was one of the issues i had with this movie i think they overshot i think and i think they they took a story that yes let's take a space odyssey and let's combine it with a pirate movie it's it's a good thought i just oh absolutely but also it's you know and also i mentioned clements and musker i mean just look at the list. I mean, Miranda, your favorite movie, mm-hmm. you know, Great Mouse Detective, Little Mermaid, Aled, my favorite movie, Hercules, mm-hmm. which was really good, Princess and the Frog, which I love. It was one Moana, of your mind's really favorites. I mean, it's just it's just really surprising that this was a miss by them. But I also think there there had to be some studio. It says it took four years to make this movie. Yeah. By the way, so yeah. I can't. At first, I was thinking to myself, did did this get rushed? But no, when I was looking up stuff for us to talk tonight, it says it took over four years to make this movie. So it's definitely wasn't a rushed thing, I don't think. Well, CG was still new at the time for Disney. Pixar had been doing it already. And I think this is before the Pixar deal happens, where they acquire Pixar. I believe it's before. Dean, again, this would have been perfect, in my opinion, with Pixar. So. So, you know, it's it's a, they get an A for effort, but just in some areas, it just kind of falls flat. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So let's kind of go through the movie and we'll talk about it as we go. So the film opens in a narrative by Tony J, who is our voice actor there, which introduces us to deep space where merchant ships sail on solar winds, transporting valuable cargo. 
However, their journeys are not without danger as one of them is attacked by a small pirate ship commanded by the notorious Captain Nathaniel Flint, a pirate who has vanished without a trace after each heist and was rumored to have stashed his loot on the murderous treasure, mysterious, excuse me, treasure plant. The image of Flint's alien face is soon seen to be a holographic image in the storybook Young Jim Hawkins, voiced by Austin Majors, a three-year-old boy who is completely immersed in the story. His mother, Sarah, voiced by Lori Metcalf, comes into Jim's room to put him to bed, playfully tackling him. But Jim continues to read his book, even under the covers. Then we get a flash forward to 12 years later. Jim has grown into a strong teenager, taking thrills from solar surfing, windsurfing on a solar-powered rocket board, his favorite pastime. Unfortunately, the aloof Jim takes his board through a restricted construction zone and is quickly apprehended by authorities. So this is a this is kind of a fun opening. They kind of set the stage here. I kind of get a Tarzan feel where they, they leaned into the extreme sports mm-hmm. aspect of it a little bit with our main character. But I, I, I like the opening. Didn't, didn't mind it. I thought the CG of the pirate ship was pretty cool off the bat. Uh, Steve, what do you think of the opening moments of this film? Um, yeah, it was good. I mean, you get um, kind of the, our intro, your intro to the film. Um, you know, we get to see um, see glimpses of uh, of Flint as he starts accumulating his treasure. We do get to see uh, we get to see Jim as you know when he's a chi- you know as a child, a uh, kind of wide you know your wide eyed um, you know reaching up to the stars kind of chi- kind of kid. And then as he grows older, he becomes very rebellious. I mean, we'll find we eventually find out that you know. His dad left him when he was young, and he's kind of, kind of harbored that a little bit. So he's, you know, because we find, because we learn that he's very intelligent. He has a lot of potential. He just doesn't know yet, um, really how to channel it. And he um, has kind of turned, like we said, in, as you said, into this kind of a rambunctious teenager, who's, and you know, we see his his mom's kind of coming on ahead of her rope. You know, she's trying to run there in while also kind of trying to keep him in line. So, um, again, great little, uh, good little entrance intro to the film. And, um, you mentioned the cast. I mean, uh, like you said, uh, you know, Joseph, Joseph Gordon Levitt as a uh, Jim, I think is, you know, definitely one of the good high points of the film. He's, he's kind of getting into kind of getting into his stride here as an actor. So, mm-hmm. um, definitely, I think a good choice. Miranda, what do you think of the opening? I enjoyed it. I think you're right with the whole um, comparison to Tarzan. I also think at this point in time, in 2002, opening with kind of like a extreme sport, so to speak, because I remember, I don't know about you guys, because we all grew up in different parts of the country, um, but where I was from, um, skateboarding, and um, if you were a person that could afford to go somewhere to snowboard, snowboarding, Anything X Games related was really big. Um, so, and I know it took four years, like I said, to make this movie, but at the same time, that was kind of like that whole time frame through there, like the mid 90s to probably, I'd say, like 2005, 2006, where I grew up at least in the South. Um, people were all about like skateboarding and snowboarding and like BMX kind of X game stuff. So I think introducing Jim in that way was really, was really cool. Yeah. No, I could definitely, I could get that. Cause mm-hmm. if you're going to say it in space, I mean, we need to see a kid yearning for adventure. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so meanwhile, back at the Ben bow in Sarah tirelessly, tirelessly serves customers, including the frequent dog, like, Delbert Doppler, David Hyde Pierce, an astrophysicist and friend of the family. He asks how Jim has been doing just as Jim is brought home, flanked by two robotic police officers. They explain that if Jim performs any further transgressions, he will be locked away in juvenile hall. 
Later that night, while Jim listens from the roof, Sarah confides in Delbert that ever since his father left him, left, sorry, uh, Jim hasn't been the same. Despite being smart, he fails in school and acts distant. At that moment, Jim notices a spaceship fall from the sky and crash at the end of, ben, of the Benbow docking platform. He runs out in time to find the, an injured pilot, an old sna- sneaky creature named Billy Bones, voiced by Patrick McGowan. Jim assists him back to the inn as it begins to rain and make it through the front door, but it, before Billy collapses, before Sarah and Delbert can do anything, Billy gives Jim a golden sphere and tells him to beware of the cyborg before expiring. Shortly after, the inn is raided by a gang of pirates, and Sarah, Jim, and Delbert barely escape before the inn is burned to the ground. They seek refuge at Delbert's home, where Jim discovers the minute mechanics of the spear and activates it to reveal a holographic map of the galaxy. They discover that the map holds the key to finding Treasure Plant. Eager to make his mother proud and rebuild the inn, Jim proposes to go find the plant with Delbert's help, who is more excited at the prospect of charting an expedition of discovery. Sarah is against the plan at first, but Delbert assures her that it just may be the right thing to help Jim sail forward. So this was, you know, a good sequence. Poor Sarah. She is, uh, you know, slightly um, overwhelmed here. She's trying her hardest and has to deal with uh, customers there. I like the introduction of uh, Doppler. Love the name, too, because of a Doppler system. He's becomes our... uh, our kind of uh, our worry ward, our, 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 you know, our stick in the mud at times through this movie. And it has the classic scene of Billy Bones, who has the spot, who means that he's basically a dead man. And he has to unload the map somewhere and it falls into Jim's hands, which following the classic story. But I kind of like this inciting incident. I think they this is probably one of the better sequences of the movie. And I like uh, I did like this part where they we're off to the start. Uh, Miranda, what do you? Uh, what are your thoughts here? Um, so first off, do we do we have to have every little like heroine or heroine have such like a tragic home life? Or like <laughs> single mom, dad ran off. Like, does that have to happen to make them like sympathetic? Mighty? I don't. I don't know. Okay. Okay. I just as an adult, I'm like, why are we doing this? I don't remember how I felt as a kid. Well, I say kid. I at this point, when this movie came out, I would have been like on the cusp of being an adult. So I don't know what I thought then either. But I do agree with you that I think it is one of the better sequences. Doctor Doppler is one of my favorite characters in this movie. Um, I do love David Hyde Pierce. I think he's fantastic. His he, his voice acting is just phenomenal. Um, even though I am a huge Joseph Gordon-Levitt stan, like to this day. Hmm. Yeah, that was one of those like um, young Miranda, you know, most girls have like someone that they don't really talk about who their like crush was because he wasn't like a main. He wasn't one of the big names of the, that time, you know, like amongst young girls, but I thought he was the best. And JGL, right? The kids oh, used to call him Third yeah. Rock from the Sun, all that. Third Rock from the Sun, JGL. Yeah. And then he becomes, yeah, he, and then he transforms into a a really great, uh, you know, adult actor leading. Man. Yeah, and he, I love uh, watching anything he does. I think he's great. Um, he's really funny, and he, I think he's really genuine. He may be a complete asshole in real life, but I, he comes across on screen as very genuine. Oh, he's um, from what I understand, he's genuine, and and I don't know if he's still in the works, but he wanted to do a uh, kind of what Jason Siegel did for the Muppets. He wanted to do something similar mm-hmm. to Fraggle Rock. He did. He did. I don't know if it's still happening. You know, we did yeah. get new Fraggle, which we do need to discuss. Yeah, I need to watch that still. Yeah. 
Um, but I, for sure. Um, but I'm with you. I really enjoyed this because like I said, Dr. Doppler is honestly probably my favorite character in this movie. Really is. All right, Steve, what do you think about this uh, scene here with the inciting incident? Um, I definitely thought it was good. Um, to answer Miranda's question about the uh, why every film has, every one of these films has to have like a broken home or something like that, it's Disney. It's almost like a prerequisite. I know. <laughs> I know. They're like, they're like, the, they are. They are the parent killers. I mean, come on, we know this, but oh. we we when I, I, when we get to the end of this, we'll have to go back and keep track of like how many films they had where like both the parents were in it for like an extent for like either the whole film or for like an extensive amount of time. Oh um, my god! Where they where they break break but I need so. to know. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, no, that's no, it's all no, it's good. Um, but yeah, I like um, I like the introduction to Delbert. I think he is a he's a good character. Um. He's one of those characters where it's like he can get annoying really quickly, but they definitely are able to kind of toe the line with that. Um, it's interesting. It's like I, I wonder what part of like the galaxy they're in is because the fact that Jim and Sarah are the only humans there, and everyone else is like this these weird like you know weird alien amalgamations. Um, I always thought that was kind of interest kind of interesting. And then yeah, we get you know the where uh, Bones shows up and he, and uh, Jim takes the map and then the, the pirates show up and yeah that's uh where they destroy the inn is definitely a um a big, cool little scene and you know poor like you said poor Sarah for everything she's gone through um and then when uh, when they figure out how to you know showcase the map find treasure planet uh Delbert's like a kid in a candy store um so excited to go on this expedition so it's um again good little um sequence here to kind of again establish now the fact that we are going to be going on this um we're going to jim's finally get to go on this great adventure yes definitely and definitely you make a point about being very similar to atlantis which also did not uh do well i mean it was again as we talked about it it was very ambitious Mm -hmm. and but it just it, that's a very similar uh, sequence here. Finding a map, finding a, a, a journey, you know, anything. It's 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 kind of you know classic storytelling in these in these kind of things. So moving on, Delbert commissions a ship and crew out of Belfast, the harbor, at, which resembles the size and shape of a crescent moon. He and Jim depart for the RLS Legacy, where they greet the stony first mate, Mister Arrow, voiced by Los, Roscoe Lee Brown, very great uh, old time actor. Uh, before meeting the stern cat-like and cat-like Captain Amelia Emma Thompson, uh, voiced by uh, Captain Amelia, voiced by Emma Thompson. Sorry, the crew is a motley but seemingly obedient bunch. And as the ship sets sail, Jim is sent to work in a galley for John Silver, voiced by Brian Murray, a cyborg who Jim becomes immediately suspicious of. Silver introduces Jim to his pet amorphous blob named Morph, that can change into any shape and to the notion of hard work. Resentful over his menial task, Jim picks the wrong side of a crew member, Scroop, a large spidery alien with a temper quelled only by Mr. Arrow's reprimand and a quick glare from Silver. Silver berates Jim for not picking his fights wisely, but soon begin a relationship out of mutual respect. Silver keeps Jim busy on board and grows impressed with his increasing work ethic. Along the journey, they eventually bond from a master and ward relationship to one near a father and son their experiences montage to the song i'm still here by johnny resnick who actually took ownership of the whole soundtrack 
which I actually do think this soundtrack is underrated. I, I, I did really, that's one thing I did enjoy as I was going through where the music, uh, the sequence features flashbacks from Jim's early life, showering his father acting, showing his father. I don't know what's wrong with me. We're reading today, showing what's his father heck? acting indifferent. Yeah, it's hard as a child before finally leaving without warning during his preteens. So there's a lot here. We get introduced to the crew, a very motley crew. And like Steve was, uh, like Steve mentioned, you know, I think one thing that that gives them artistic license and freedom is setting it in space. And that way you can have, okay, well, this one, we're going to make a spider. This one's going to be a stone. This one's going to be, you know, his head pops off and is actually a, a whole other alien. <clears throat> That's a good point here. We, you know, again, following the story of the book and every other movie, the relationship between, you know, uh, Silver and Jim kind of, uh, you know, grows and becomes a thing where he's a uh, silver becomes will become a a conflicted uh antagonist later on we get morph introduce you who i do i do like morph mm-hmm. definitely the uh let's uh you know try to sell as much morph plushies and stuff uh you know thing here i think is going on but it does do a good introduction of the crew again with that artistic license to kind of make them whoever you are, we saw similar things in Muppet Treasure Island where it was, you know, different Muppets symbolizing different things. It makes them stand out. It makes them more memorable, memorable. So this, again, this movie does put effort and does have imagination. It's just, it just does not connect uh, at times. So Steve, what are your thoughts here on the introduction of the, uh, the crew here and, and Morph and what have you? Um, it was again a good introduction. Um, like you said, we get the you know, the, you know Captain Amelia, who I think uh, I think she's kind of one of the unheralded characters in the film. And we see throughout kind of the throughout the film the uh, relationship between her and uh, Delbert. Um, as you know, she's this you know tough as nails, um, you know thick skinned captain, but can uh, but gives respect when it's um, when it's earned. Um, like you said, we meet the rest of the crew, John Silver and his uh, minions, and uh, they're quite the uh, eclectic uh, bunch there of uh, of uh, life forms. Particularly, um, Scroop is definitely uh, he's one he's one scary mf'er. I oh, yeah. mean, he's you know he's definitely somebody you don't want to you definitely would not want to cross. Um, and then, like you said, we see the kind of the relationship build with uh, with Jim and uh, and Silver to you know he be, he almost kind of in a way because starts to become the father figure for Jim that he needed. And, um, and I agree with you about the soundtrack. I think, um, I'm still here is definitely kind of a little bit of an underrated song as we see, you know, like you said, as we kind of see that relationship between Jim and silver grow, and then we kind of get the flashbacks there of, uh, of Jim's father, you know, walking out on him and Sarah to kind of see why Jim is the way he is. So, um, again, good little, um, sequence here. We get some, you know, some really good animation of um of the ship flying through space and um and kind of juxtapositioning it with um kind of the like i said the growing relationship between uh jim and silver yeah yeah scroop definitely if you if you don't like spiders you ain't liking him he kind of also reminded no. me of, <laughs> uh, of sabulba from uh star wars episode one phantom menace mm. you know hey sabulba hey he always means um i definitely got that vibe from him you figure he's gonna be because if you know the story you pretty much can start you'll 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 start to know like okay this is he's gonna be the one that leads the uh the mutiny what have you blah 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 so there's a lot you know i don't know i think for kids who may not know the story i think it does give some some good surprises to them but if you know the story you're you're pretty much uh figuring this out as you go miranda what was your thoughts on the introduction of the crew and uh and morph 
I also like Morph. I do think he's that character that was absolutely created to like make plushies and make kids be like, oh my god, he's so cute. Um, I think he's Morph is fantastic. I think the introduction of the crew is really fun because it's setting you up. It's getting it's getting kids excited. Like for some reason, every time you guys say we're going out for adventure, all I hear in my head is because um, Andy. You also have kids around the same age as mine. So do you remember, we're going on a trip in our favorite rocket ship. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Going through the skies. That's what I think of. For some <laughs> reason, the whole time I was watching this sequence, I was like, oh, my God, what is wrong with me? But, yeah, I was singing the Little Einstein song. Uh, I didn't like the Little Einstein song. Which is also a Disney. You don't remember that one? I do remember. I just didn't like the Little Einsteins. I don't know. I like Baby Einstein. Oh, I didn't that love was it either, sweeter. but Kaden did. Oh, I know. Yeah, it was like those things. Baby Einstein. Okay. Well, yeah, that's I, what I think. At least I, I wasn't like thinking Captain Feathersword Ahoy from The Wiggles, so I got that. Thank God that didn't come up in my head, although it is there now. Now it's the... See, it's one of the... You've done it. You've done it to yourself. Um, but yes, I enjoyed this sequence. Um, you're right. People that don't like spiders don't necessarily... No, we don't. Mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah, I remember sidebar and oil. I was like, Jessica, I think she was like nine months old in the bouncy see or yeah. whatever it was. And whenever that one song came on, she would throw her hands up in the air and like wave them. It was hysterical. Oh, which one? What, the, what in the little rocket ship? No, Captain Feather Sword Ahoy from the Wiggles. Oh, that one. <laughs> it was a, fr- a flashback in my head. And now she's 21. Anyway, all right. So, <laughs> continuing on, it's clear that Silver and John um, enjoy each other's company. And Silver praises Jim's mechanical and pl- piloting skills when he fixes one of the ship's solar skiffs, takes it for a spin. After the return to the ship, an explosion rings out as a nearby, nearby uh, again, hard words, nearby <laughs> star goes supernova. Amelia takes the ship into evasive maneuvers and instructs Jim to secure all the crew's harnesses to the main mast. Due to the turbulence, Silver nearly falls overboard by a save by Jim. At this time, Delbert discovers that the supernova is devolving into a black hole, which is pulling the ship back into its core. The black hole releases sonic waves, which rattle the ship. Delbert tells Amelia that two more will follow before they are uh, pulled out of the hole, and she comes up with a plan to ride the last wave out with the ship's engines at full thrust. The next wave sends Mr. Arrow overboard, but he is saved by his harness line. However, Scroop appears above him and with a sinister look cuts his line, sending Arrow into the abyss. Silver and Jim hang over, hang on as the last wave erupts, sending the ship out of the black hole and back into deep space. Amelia addresses the crew and congratulates Jim and Delbert for their help before calling for Mr. Arrow. Scroop appears with Arrow's hat and claims that his harness was not secure to Jim's bewilderment. Scroop then gives Silver a knowing glance to Silver's disapproval. Jim takes the news and Amelia's reaction hard and retreats into seclusion. Silver finds him later and tries to pick him up again, telling him that he has the makings of greatness if he only if he could only see that in himself and take charge of it. Jim's spirits are raised and he embraces Silver, much to Silver's surprise before going below deck to sleep. Silver admits to Morph that he'd best watch how he acts around Jim, lest the crew thinks he's going soft. So the relationship here builds we get you know poor mr arrow going overboard um you know i I thought this supernova sequence was a pretty exciting scene turns into a black hole you know jim obviously getting uh framed here and we get also the farting 
alien uh, during after in the cabin down there. But um, definitely moves the story along. I thought this was probably the most exciting scene of the whole movie. And, you know, also makes you feel similar now to uh, what was going on in, in Pirates of the Caribbean. I think it was like uh, the third one where they had that also the scene with the uh, the whirlpool and all that. So definitely Disney loves their pirates and loves to have these kind of scenes in their movies. Uh, Miranda, your thoughts on uh, this exciting uh, you know sequence here? I mean, I think it's fun and it is exciting. And you're right. Disney does love them to pirates because apparently we are getting uh, new pirates soon-ish. I don't know when, but apparently that's happening. Um so I do enjoy this. I do agree with you that it kind of like rebuilds or not rebuilds, but it's like building upon the relationship that they're trying to like give us here. Oh my gosh, sorry. Um, and it, it, this is where the adventure finally starts happening, basically. Like, you know, crazy. It pull, yeah, it, it gets into its second gear, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Steve, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this was definitely a really exciting uh, sequence. So, like I said, with the supernova going off, and uh, this is kind of where we see um, kind of Delbert's. Um, realize you realize he's a lot smarter than you think that you think he is because he feels you know seems like he's such an aloof guy, but he actually does know a lot what he, what he's talking about. Um, yeah, poor Mister Arrow. Um, he's been such you know such the uh, the the um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of like the 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 um the steady force on the on the ship and uh and he and he um gets sent to the uh to the black hole thanks to uh thanks to Scroop um and then you know like you said they uh Scroop tries to you know pass the buck to Jim saying that because Jim was it was was told to keep make sure the lifelines were secure and he's he thought they were but of course you know they they kind of turn on him or they try to get everyone to turn on him and then uh, like you said you know again we continue to see Silver and Jim's relationship growing and Silver now is kind of He's kind of now find himself at a uh, at a crossroads here, where it's like, you know, does he stick continue sticking with his plan, um, or does you know does he let his um, this newfound like um, love he has for for Jim kind of get in the way of that? Yeah, yeah, lots to unpack here. Amelia definitely gives off um, Elizabeth Swan vibes as well too. Mm-hmm. Once Elizabeth turns into uh, who she turns into in the the uh, the pirates movies, and yes. We're getting a new Pirates of the Caribbean, I believe. Uh, you know, I think Johnny Depp and Disney are kissing and making up, as well as uh, I think um, the girl from The Bear, I think, is supposed to be in a new one. Originally, yeah. uh, there was thoughts of having Karen Gillum and Margot Robbie co-headline um, a new Pirates movie, which was going to have more of a female uh, base, where Karen Gillum was going to portray Red, uh, the, the red-haired woman from The Ride. So... Anyway, that's just a little sidebar. So the next morning, Jim is woken early by a playful morph. He chases him to the galley and catches him in a fruit barrel just before some of the crew comes down. Listening to their conversation, Jim learns that they are actually pirates and they are planning a mutiny before they make landfall. Silver comes into the galley, revealing himself as the mastermind and leader and expresses his discontent to anyone who makes a move before his say-so. Scroop tells Silver that he thinks Silver's gone <coughs> soft for Jim. And doesn't have it in him to continue with the plans. Enraged, Silver tells the crew that he cares only for Flint's treasure and that he warned, warmed up to Jim to keep him ignorant to their plans. A cry comes from above when they've reached Treasure Planet. The exclamation coming from a crew member, Onus, 
a six-eyed alien and the crew leaves the galley. Jim emerges from the barrel and begins to make his way back up to the deck, but comes face-to-face with Silver on his way back down. They tensely stare off, stand off before Jim lunges forward with a pair of scissors and stabs Silver in his robotic leg, causing a pressure malfunction. Silver begins the mutiny as Jim retreats into Amelia's quarters and escapes with her and Delbert to the loading bay. However, ever-playful Morph grabs the map out of Jim's pocket, holding it in his mouth. Silver appears in the Bay Area, and he and Jim try to coax Morph to go with them with the map. Confused, Morph dives into a bundle of ropes. Silver reaches for the map, but Jim grabs it and escapes into the skiff with Amelia and Delbert. As they flee forward towards the planet's surface, Silver takes aim at them but refuses to shoot due to his attachment to Jim. However, a mutineer shoots the ship's cannon at, his, at the skiff, causing a massive damage in, injury to Amelia. The skiff then crashes upside down on the surface. So, you know, action is picking up. We learn, everybody, that uh, these are pirates, actually, and a, a mutiny is being planned. And Silver has been in it, but definitely a uh, conflicted uh, person here. And Morph is uh, continuing on to to uh, kind of just get in the middle of things, and whether it's in good or not. And Morph, it's kind of weird because... You don't really know where he lies, on which side he is. He's kind of like in the middle and is just being morph, I guess, so to speak. I don't know. Steve, that, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Steve, what's your thoughts over here? Yeah, Morph really is just being kind of like a playful little, like, you know, just playful sidekick. He doesn't, you know, I don't think he really gets the full scope of what's going on. Um but that's a pretty uh, tense scene there where uh, where Jim's in the barrel and he finds out, you know, what's really going on. And, uh, you know, Silver's trying to assure all the rest of the pirates that, you know, he's still, you know, he's still in it to win it, basically. Um, and then, like I said, then they reach Treasure Planet. Then things kind of start going awry. Um, and they eventually, you know, get off the sh- They do end up getting off the ship. But um, like you said, um, Morph ends up leaving the, uh, the map on the ship, really com- complicating things for them. Um, so yeah, I guess again a little um interesting little like decent sequence here um between between everything as we kind of start seeing the uh the strings kind of unravel here between um between everyone and uh, we and we think Silver's kind of finally showing his true colors. Mhm. Miranda. Yeah, sorry, I wasn't trying to interrupt, but you were describing him, and I was like, I was thinking as a reader, he's kind of like a not necessarily morally gray, but he's like for himself he's just there right yeah um but yeah i kind of i i like this whole thing uh i do think it's funny when he's like you're too soft i mean what did they expect like oh, come on we're all watching this budding friendship and everything happen like that's what's gonna happen like it, it just is mm-hmm. all right yeah definitely i mean it's funny too amelia gives off like I don't know, some interesting vibes, especially with Emma Thompson's voice. You know, you're getting that 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 Barney that Betty Rubble uh, Judy Jetson stuff going on here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, so we get the three composing themselves. And Amelia asks for the map, but when Jim removes it from his pocket, it's revealed to be morph in disguise. Jim realizes the map is still on the ship as a second skiff flies overhead that's looking for them. Amelia then orders Jim to find a safe haven for them before she collapses from her injuries. Delbert tends to the delirious Amelia while Jim scours the alien jungle. He eventually comes into contact with an eccentric robot named Ben, voiced by Martin Short, short bioelectronic navigator. 
Ben's memory is hazy at best, and he shows Jim that he's actually missing part of his central database at the back of his head. Although, from what he does remember, he informs Jim that he was Flint's own navigator and was left on the planet to protect the treasure, which is located at the centroid of the mechanism. Jim is less than amused by Ben's antics, but is relieved to find that Ben's lair is the perfect hiding place. Soon, however, the mutinous pirates surround the hovel, and Silver demands the map. Knowing that Silver is unaware that the map's true location, Jim goes to the negotiate but refuses to cooperate with Silver. He returns to the hideout where Ben reveals a back door into a metalworks piping system that interweaves throughout the plan's very core. Jim, Ben, and Morph head back to the ship to deactivate the laser cannon and retrieve the real map while Delbert watches over Amelia. So we uh, we got a lot going on here. So we got the uh, Jim, we got Del, sorry Delbert and Amelia. Kind of like a romance is starting to uh, to happen here. The big thing, though, that happens is we get introduced to Ben. So, Martin Short, wonderful. Great, great comedic actor. I really do love everything that he does. But, however, the thing here is, and, it, and it's always, like, a big deal when you have something like this. Like, it's akin to Robin Williams as the genie. But Ben, does, so this movie is about an hour and a half, right? And Ben does not show up till about 55 minutes into this movie. That's a long time. A lot of people, you know, when you ask people like, oh, my God, when does when do you think Ben shows up? You always would think it's a long time. But when you talk to somebody about Aladdin and we talked about this when we covered Aladdin, you don't realize the genie doesn't show up for 40 minutes because there's a lot that goes on in that movie up until that point. And you think that you, you may think the genie was there you know, from the bat. But he's not. But in this movie, I don't know. There's something about it that just makes it seem like he comes in a little too late into the story. I know the character really doesn't doesn't belong in the story any sooner. Just I don't know. Just excuse me. Having Ben, Martin Short, a character voiced by Martin Short coming in so long, you know, I don't know. To me, it just it just kind of stands out. Um, but I do think he he does add to it, and it kind of picks it up a little bit here. Um. Miranda, what are your thoughts on um, where we are at in the story as well as uh, Martin Short as Ben? So I like Martin Short. I'm with you. I think that he um, he's great uh, comedy wise. I do wonder if maybe asking him to do it was kind of like, um, you know, the dragon Mushu had gone so well. So they kind of wanted maybe that same energy, but not the same person, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um you know, for, for a character in the movie. So I think it was a great idea. However, I am like you, and we discussed this back when we did our Aladdin episode. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that. But I, I'm with you. Like, it seems like it's kind of way far in the story to be introducing this character. But I'm not I'm not against it. It just was kind of indifferent, if that makes sense. I know. It just seems like, from what I can remember from the trailer and all that stuff, like Martin Short's in this movie. His character, this movie. Yeah, yeah, and then he doesn't. And it's like an hour almost of right. an hour and a half movie. Like two-thirds. The movie's two-thirds over when right. he comes in. So, yeah. No, I agree with you. I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you on that, but, like, I'm kind of indifferent about, like, overall, like, this little mm-hmm. area and stuff. Yeah. Well, because we finally get to the planet, i.e. the island. Yeah. Um, all right, Steve, what are your thoughts uh, on this section in Ben? 
Um, I it's funny. I never really thought about that until you said it. But yeah, it is kind of interesting that they wait to have this introduce this character this late in the game. But I mean, it, theoretically, it does make sense. I mean, if he's basically there to protect the planet, you know, why would we we wouldn't really want need to see him before that? But um, yeah, he's. I go back and forth on Ben. Sometimes he's he is funny, and a lot of that is because of Martin Short. But he does can be a little grating at times. Um. So I, I am kind of back and forth on him. Um, I do like the little um, sequence back on the boat where um, where they face off with Scroop and they end up sending him him basically now into deep space um, after after Ben inadvertently you know this deactivates the gravity on the ship. Um, so it's kind of so it's good to see uh, Scroop get his come up and stare um, by getting sent in the deep space. So um, yeah, it's a fine little um, sequence here as we kind of inch towards the um, to the final climax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this got a little ahead of us, but yes, um, all about this this plan. And I think the plan is fine. It, it, we get a little steampunk, I think, with this plan here mm-hmm. um, in terms of the mechanics and all that. Kind of reminds me of Tootsums. I don't know if you've ever been to Tootsums Chocolate down in um, Disney. Uh, not Disney, okay. excuse me, Universal uh, oh, City Walk. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also, I think there's one in California too. Uh, definitely reminds me of that, uh, the steampunk uh uh, mechanical kind mm-hmm. of thing going on here and then so we go on board ben whimsically goes off to deactivate the cannon while jim goes to the loading dock for the map however he runs into a vengeful scroop and the two fight their way onto the main deck ben accidentally deactivates the artificial gravity on the ship and jim and scroop floating uh into the rigging jim is saved by grabbing on one of the on the pirate's flag just before scroop can cut him away he swings back onto the mass and kicks scroop into the loose flag, sending him into space. Ben then turns the gravity back on, disables the cannon. When they return to the hideout, Jim holds out the map to Delbert, only to see that Silver and the other pirates have invaded the place and tied Amelia and Delbert up. Jim is the only one who knows how to properly activate the map and thus demands that they all travel together to the treasure's location. They take the skiff and follow a laser trail to a cliff's edge where the trail disappears. An inscription on the ground reveals a plug for the map Jim inserts it, and a portal is engaged with each planet's location on the map's hologram, allowing for immediate travel, the secret to Flint's mysterious raids. Jim then selects <coughs> excuse me, the treasure planet icon, and the center of the planet is revealed with treasure inside it. Jim, the pirates, and Ben step inside, walking through an unseen trip laser. At the heart of the treasure, Jim discovers the remains of Captain Flint, clutching what he, to what he seems to be the rest of Ben's mind. Jim plugs it. Uh, back into Ben's head, and he suddenly remembers that Flint actually commissioned him to booby trap the plant to make sure no one took his treasure. The very core begins to rip apart, and scores of treasure and some of the pirates are lost in the molten center. Silver finds himself torn between collecting what treasure he can and saving Jim, hanging from a precarious ledge. Silver saves Jim, and the survivors escape back to the legacy as the plant begins to break apart. The ship becomes damaged, and Amelia realizes that they'll never make it out of the planet atmosphere in time. Jim comes up with a plan to activate the portal so that it's taking them directly to Bristol. He attaches <coughs> excuse me, a rocket engine to a scrap of metal and surfs it ahead of the ship to the portal. Nearly falling, Jim manages to make it to the portal and enters into the coordinates. He allows himself and the ship to pass safely through just as treasure plant explodes. So Jim's, you know, windsurfing, I guess, or sky surfing comes back to uh to play that was a nice little uh thing that they uh set up kind of the uh you know you show a gun in act one you fire in act three kind of screenwriting detail there 
I did get a lot of Goonies vibes from this part, you know, with One-Eyed Willie kind of being, um, you know, in place of, you know, of uh, of the pirate here. And we get, um, sorry, what was the, the pirate's name here again? It was a, um, it was uh, Flint. Yes. So, yeah, I get a lot of that going on here. And we, uh, as we start to lose members of the crew, I, I thought it was, you know, exciting, um, you know, but, uh, you know, Silver with a slight face turn here, saving saving Jim. You know, I think, again, this the movie is trying hard, but I think it's just kind of missing in some spots here. And the mix of the animation, to me, again, is it jars to me. It kind of takes me out a little bit. But, Steve, uh, what are your thoughts here? Uh, yeah, so, like you said, I mean, like, I apologize. I jumped ahead, I jumped again a bit with the, um, talking about the, the, about the actual group, but anyway, um, but yeah, nice the little... next time you do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, um, again, you kind of continue seeing the, um, the back and forth between Silver and Jim. They eventually find, like you said, the, um, they lead the map to, um, to where they find the door. Um, and that's a cool little scene, a moment there where they do find the treasure. And it's, we do get a, um, a Jaws reference where one of the aliens is like, we're going to need a bigger boat. So I yes. did, uh, so I do like that. Um, yeah, kind of conv- a little inconvenient that, uh, one that they, fu- that Jim finds, uh, Ben's memory, um, like little panel there and attaches it to him. Um, and he's, and he's about to tell him about the booby trap, like two minutes after they've already tripped it. So, um, so kind of, you know, a little, I mean, that, but, but that makes like, you know, you gotta have a little bit of attention there to kind of see if they're able to escape. And, uh, like you said, the little the face turn by uh, by Silver, where he you know he's he spent his whole life trying to find this treasure. He finally has it, but then he ultimately sacrifices it because he cares more about Jim and ends up saving him. So, um, so you have that, and then like you said, the little scene where they're uh, where Jim's kind of doing the sky surfing again, like he did at the beginning, um, to help lead them back through the door to the right location to um, to get them away to get them away just as the planet erupts. So, again, good little um, good little kind of final scene here it's kind of you know big scene here um it does it is kind of sad a bit though that um you know they they ended up you know they i mean was they did get a little bit of the treasure but not as much as they could have but it's you know it's whatever yeah it's well it's the same with the goonies with the marble bag kind of thing also get um um oh god what was that cave of wonders vibes also from aladdin Mm. here as well which was you know, the same directors. Miranda, what are your thoughts on the big uh, climax here of the film? I mean, I think it's okay. I don't say I love it. I, I do think it's it's okay. Um, I agree with the Goonies vibes here, which maybe they were going for, um, because I would imagine they were possibly fans of the Goonies. Um, I mean, how could you not be and create a movie like this? I'm just, I know. I'm just saying. But um, I don't know. I think it was... Fine. And I think that's the problem with this whole movie for me is that it's fine. Right? Yeah. Like it's not great. And and like you I, I keep meaning to bring this up every time it's my turn. You've talked about like the different animation styles all rolling together at once. There were part of parts of this movie where I thought it was like dark, like visually, not like not like Hunchback of Notre Dame where I was like, oh that's dark. I mean, like, visually, like, sometimes it was dark, and I'm now wondering if that was my horrible eyesight when they're running all three things at once. My eyesight just saw it as, like, I can't handle this. This is too dark. Yeah, Yeah, at times. 
it just it it just doesn't seem as cohesive as it should. Right. It and doesn't I, I, hit. That bothers me. Yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't hit. And I think like uh, we've compared it a lot to Atlantis tonight, which I think we'll all agree it has a lot of comparisons to Atlantis. But I think what Atlantis did right, this one did wrong. Mm-hmm. And where Atlantis had that cult following with people in our age brackets years later, this one just didn't pull that off like it could have done. Um, I, again, I'm repeating myself here, feel like it was the wrong time and that maybe this would be better suited for a Disney-Pixar pairing. But maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, yeah, one of those things that just, not, it just hit, the timing was wrong. Timing it's was just wrong. not quite there. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to, just to, yeah. All right, so uh, at the con- as a conclusion of the movie, Amelia orders the remaining pirates in prison, in prison in the ship's barracks as they return home and offers to recommend Jim to the Interstellar Academy for his actions. Later on, Silver sneaks down to the loading bay and sets off to escape in a skiff. Jim catches him in the act but lets him go. Morph decides to stay with Jim, and Silver commences bravery and predicts that he will rattle the stars. He hands over a small fortune and treasure to Jim to rebuild the inn with and leaves. The movie ends with Benbo at the Benbo Inn rebuilt and Ben providing waiter services for Sarah and Delbert and Amelia married with children. Jim arrives home with two police officers, this time serving as escorts as he reveals himself in a military cadet uniform as everyone celebrates his homecoming. Jim looks at the skies and sees an approving image of silver in the clouds. So we get a happy ending here. You know, we get Jim kind of turning his life around. Silver again, kind of leaving uh, Jim in a better place than he found him. And Moore finds a new home. We get the romance here between Delbert and Amelia kind of (coughs) getting, coming to fruition. And poor, you know, Mrs. Hawkins. Now uh, it has a thriving business. So I, it's got a happy ending. We get another good song by Johnny Resnick here. Um, and I don't know. It's just, it's, it, 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 we'll, we'll talk about it in the, uh, in the, why there, <laughs> or lack thereof of in the parks. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's got, the ending is good. It's a happy ending. It's fine. There was uh <laughs> planned sequel with William Defoe set to voice the villainous Ironbeard, but was canceled based on the movie's failure at the box office. All right, so so uh, Miranda, what are your thoughts on the conclusion here? The kind of the it's almost like an epilogue here of the movie. Yeah, it really is kind of an epilogue, which you see in books a lot, and sometimes I I'm not a fan of an epilogue. Um, other times you need it, like you need to just close out something, like just kind of like. Close it out perfectly, wrap it up with a little bow, because there's nothing left. Um, and I think that's why you have this. I also think it just kind of finishes it off. Again, not to be, like, overly repetitive this episode, but I think it's fine. It's fine. It is what it is. Um, but I wouldn't say this is a horrible movie, okay? It's not... It's not that it's horrible. Um... So there's that, but it's not the it's not the best, right? I think we can all three agree on that. Like yeah. it's not horrible. It, it, I think you can enjoy it. I think it'd be okay. Background noise. I remember when I watched it with Caden when he was younger. It it kept the attention that we needed. It was fun, but it, it's not like 
when somebody says, which Disney movie do you want to watch? I'm probably never going to scream that one out. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of in the, like, I, it feels like more like a DreamWorks kind of thing when DreamWorks had, like, you know, Rotel Dorado yeah. and Prince and Prince of yeah. Egypt. That, that That's where it w- it would really it really fits because unfortunately you know to be a top tier disney animated film it's hard i mean there's there it, there's a lot of to- uh, this this in this movie it's not terrible but it's just not on that level which is very high so this is going right. to be probably in the lower third or even quarter of of most people were to uh to rank their the, all these movies and, and you know what yeah, there may be someone that says it's like fantastic and it's their favorite. And yeah. I'm not trying yeah. to yuck your yum. It just wasn't for me. And yeah. I think I can speak for all three of us when I don't, I don't think it was for any of the three of us, but that doesn't mean it's not great. If you love it, like, you know, it, Oh yeah. Nothing against, yeah. No, nothing against anybody. Not going to say, Oh my God, how could you No, It's the, there are good parts in this movie. There are positives in this movie. It's not right. Bad. I mean, we're going to get you. A, we're going to get to a like bad one stuff. soon. But yeah, you know, right. and the uh, and I wouldn't judge you. Go ahead. If you don't like Muppets or Spam, I mean. Yeah, well. That's yeah. the only time I'll judge. You. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're damn right. Uh, and the other name, the name of the song that we close with is "Always Know Where You Are." So, which mm-hmm. has uh, I think it is the soundtrack. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Steve, what are your thoughts on the uh, the ending here, the closing of the film? Um, it was a fine ending. Um, we get you know the kind of final closure with with Jim and Silver. Um, like you said, Morph decides to stick with Jim, and um, as you know, Silver you know gives Jim portion of his of his um of his treasure hall to uh, rebuild the end because you know because in a way he felt you know I'm sure he felt guilty doing that, so he definitely you know wanted to make right for it. Um, and then like you said, we get the little ending there. The uh the end's rebuilt. Um, Ben's now part of the part of the family as you know as a waiter. Um, like you said, uh, Doppler and Amelia now are, are married and with their own children. Uh, Jim's now kind of finally fulfilling the potential that everyone knew he had. Um, and then that guy did like that little ending there where he looks up at the sky and he sees the image of uh, of silver in the cloud. Um, I thought that was a cool little touch there. Um, so again, I, I definitely agree. The um, this is definitely one where the the parts are better than the whole mm-hmm. um, for the film. Mm-hmm. Um, we we definitely kind of mentioned the comparisons of. Um, to, from this to Atlantis, and like I said, you know, I don't. This doesn't have the same cult following that Atlantis does, um, so I'm not sure if you know. Again, like you said, it's one of those things, one of those films where it's like, if you're a completionist, you'll definitely, um, definitely um, take a take a look at it. Um, I would probably have it rank. I mean, I did rank all the films. I don't remember exactly where it was, but I know I definitely had it like by bottom third. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a like you said, a fine film. It's it's I wasn't bored at all watching it. You know, it's it's it flows very well. But at the end of the day, I think it's just ultimately like most of the films from this from this particular decade, just kind of forgettable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a tough run here that they're that they're in because you know, there are new players starting to come aboard. I remember, you know, we started having DreamWorks, Fox Animation, um, Pixar, you know, was still cranking them out. Um Blue Sky, I think, was just starting to come around. Yeah, there's a lot. There was, Disney was no longer the only player in town, and that kind of, you know, forces them to kind of to up their game because you know everybody goes through a uh, a lull, 
and with with the, within this next batch, you know, we're gonna see. I mean, I think I reason why I kind of say like, hey, that that uh, uh, not the next two, but the the one after that. Reason why I just for personal reasons, I guess, because I remember going to see that in theater in the theater and just loving. I love that movie, but I love like most of it. There are parts of that movie, we'll, and we'll talk about it too, because I, I definitely am going to have a lot to say on that movie, and we'll get there when we do, though. So, in terms of in the parks, you never see Treasure Planet stuff. I mean, I'm sure there you maybe I'd have to go on, you know, shop Disney and see if there's any Morph or or Ben merchandise. I'm sure there's there's figures from this. Uh, ben may have come out. I'll um, check. While yeah, talking. but it, it's kind of hard because it's like, where do you put this? Right. If we talk mm-hmm. about we go we go we go to Florida, right? In the four parks down there. It doesn't fit at all Animal Kingdom. No, not at all. You know, the studios, maybe. I mean, but the studios is still kind of in they're they're still kind of re- I think that's the next park that's gonna get uh you know, I think Animal Kingdom's gonna get some some love soon in terms of fi- financials because they have announced some some stuff, but they're they really kinda need to uh get some more definition in the, in the, in the studios. Epcot, I mean, future world, maybe, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's really. I think. Used to be in the parades, maybe. Well, at the time they always put the new, the new movie in parades usually, but it it turns out. No, I mean like more recent. Oh, it could be, maybe. I mean, here's the thing too. And then we talk about the magic kingdom. So, does this go in mm-hmm. in Adventureland or Tomorrowland, which are not next to each other? You know, it's not like you could have it as no, a bridge, a, tra- a bridge thing. Um, there are, there is an empty space. Maybe they could put it where the old, you know, alien extraterrestrial was, and then Stitch's Great Escape was. Um, it doesn't really belong. Uh, I really can't see this in Adventureland anywhere because you already have Pirates of the Caribbean there. So it's kind of like, mm-hmm. eh, I mean. And then in terms of like walk arounds, maybe, but you're more likely to see this at um in at Disneyland in California. I mean, there could mm-hmm. be a presence over here at um, you know, maybe in Tokyo, which I didn't really I didn't really look up because I don't think that there's any at all. I mean, it's a little weird how how think. some of the for, some of the foreign parks, how you know, some characters that we don't think of or movies here are not big, but actually mm-hmm, right are big over there. I mean, they have Disney seas. They could have had a treasure planet area. I don't know. Never been there, but I mean, I'm sure there's pins or whatever for, for Ben or for, for more like who are really the standouts of the movie. Amelia. I do. I do like Amelia because she's a strong female and she's a captain of the movie of the ship. I mean, so I think that's a good positive thing for, uh, for the girls. But on, all, all in all, though, yeah, it's it's kind of lower tier, and not because it's bad, not because it's just it just does some things well, but doesn't do anything great. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my thoughts. So Miranda, anything so, else? So I see that um, in 2020, Jim Hawkins was actually like they had someone as Jim Hawkins greeting guests at Disney World in Magic Kingdom. Um, I didn't find anything on Shop Disney at all, but I went to Amazon and I found a 20th anniversary, um, it is from the Disney store. It's a 20th anniversary limited edition, or limited release, rather, 
um, Disney Treasure Planet sketchbook ornament. It is kind of cool. It's only $16.50 if you're into this movie. Not ridiculously expensive. Um, but I, I really, I found nothing on Shop Disney, which kind of, I mean, it, like you said, it's from 2002. So the movie is quite old at this point. But there's no morph. There's no, there wasn't even like t-shirt. There was, I found nothing over there. Um, and everybody's like, yo, you're in Europe, but it's the same shop Disney, like mm-hmm. the Europe store. They might have slight differences, but they're pretty much the same, um, store, but I am honestly not seeing much of anything, but it does look like at one point as, as, as soon as t- in 2020, Jim Hawkins was running around, um, Disney um, and at one point, they even had Ben, the robot, running around with him. Or B-E-N, however you want to say it. But I can't find much more than that. Well, I'm also kind of just really quickly seeing here that apparently um, Disneyland wanted to um, rebrand the submarine voyage around Treasure Planet. But um, but because of the, mm-hmm. I guess because of how badly it performed, they scrapped it. And eventually, they would rebrand it for uh, Finding Nemo. It makes sense. Nemo did a thousand times better. <laughs> He's way more beloved. <laughs> yeah, I can't, and I can't really. I, I don't think that would have been a good idea anyway, because it's it's it was twenty thousand leagues under the sea. What do you what are you gonna do? Treasure? You're gonna make it space? Like, I mean, I mean, it's yeah, it's kind of yeah weird. I think I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not there with that. I you know I've never. Been, I haven't been on the Simo. The Nemo subs. I mean, I remember going on the uh, the original subs when I was a kid. Uh, they did just pull out and remove it from you know Magic Kingdom in Florida, so it's the only sub ride I think we have, at least domestically. So, yeah, all in all, you know, look, if you haven't seen it before, you know, give it a watch. I mean, you may like it, you may find parts of it you enjoy, but all in all, it's 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 good. It's just it's just not up there. That's that's really excuse me the best uh, way to describe it okay so um on our, our next one we're going forward a year and we're going to be going to uh the great white north so that should be uh interesting and but before we go uh let's kind of talk about other podcasts you all got going on uh steve we'll start with you um, well, besides this one, I also have, of course, over here on the rest on the uh, pop feed, uh, making Mount Rushmore, um, and also the video jukebox song of the day. Um, those go on pretty reg- on a pretty regular basis. Um, also on the wrestling feed, I have Extreme Resurrection. That's where me and James Grunberg are going through ECW, um, WWE's version from 2006 to 2010. We are currently in the summer of 07 on the cusp of summer. Um, we'll see if uh, CM Punk can finally cash in and become ECW champion or if John Morrison's reign is going to continue. Um, so keep, you know, listening to that. Um, also occasionally, um, Occasionally um, appear on the North-South Connection, most recently on uh, Cronoso, where we talked WrestleMania 5. Um, in particular, I did the uh, Ultimate Warrior Rick Rude Intercontinental title match, so that was a lot of fun. And, of course, speaking of WrestleMania, um, if you're following along on the Noso uh, YouTube channel, uh, JT and Ryan are currently ranking all 402 WrestleMania matches. So um, they're going Ooh. in short form on uh, YouTube and on um, TikTok. So um, as, of the, as of we are recording this, they are um, about to 
they're getting close to the uh, top 150. So um, they do. They've been doing a great job with that. Um, they're going to do that all the way up until uh, Mania, WrestleMania Saturday of this year. So um, be sure to follow along with all that, with all of that, as well as everything else on the uh, North South YouTube channel. If you've not subscribed to them, please do so. Uh, lots of great stuff there. And of course, um, PTB Facebook group, um, some you know good stuff going on over there. We of course just did a um, recent um, kind of short form tournament uh, where we determined uh, the greatest appetizer of all time, which was won by mozzarella sticks. Um, not much of a shock there. Um, so, <laughs> um, well, we... <laughs> I mean, you, you kind of don't know which way people would go. I mean, I think a lot of stuff we kind of knew was going to get eliminated in that tournament um, fairly quickly because some people are so uncouth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but I think between mozzarella sticks, buffalo wings, um, nachos, I think those were like the three that you don't know what they I, I, All three of them had a shot, basically. You know, I think it was a fantastic tournament. I think it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's some little shockers here and there, but not, nothing too surprising. But it's not one of those like, oh, you know, like the candy tournament where it's like, you know, peanut butter cups. We pretty much, if you, you know, asked a hundred people, I would think 70 of them would, would have said Reese's peanut butter cups was going to win. Yeah. This one, I think it would have been very split all over, but it was definitely a fun tournament. I always find the food ones interesting when we do them because we have a lot of people in our group that we've talked about this before amongst the three of us. Um, not only do we have a lot of food differences within the United States, but we don't have just people from the U.S. in our group. And so I, I do find it funny sometimes. And I won't lie. Uh, some days you would pop up the, like, matchups and, like, one of the foods on there. And I'd be like, what the? Like, <laughs> even <laughs> to myself, I'd be like, what? How is? Oh, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you realize how much, uh, you know, it gets under people's skin sometimes with some of these foods. <laughs> some of these food <laughs> I mean, matchups. It's pretty I mean, funny. Who knew breakfast burritos would be such a hot topic? I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the point of the tournaments. They are, they spawn some good debates. And um, and we are kind of, we are currently currently in the uh, planning process for our um, our summer tournament this year. Not going to give too much away of it, but let's just say that um, it'll take us back to our, um, to our childhood. So I'll just kind of leave it at that. Oh boy! Depending, well, we all had different childhoods, so. <laughs> all right, uh, Miranda, what else do you? What do you have to going on? Uh, just the normal uh, books. Everything I do is here on the pop feed, so like I'm pretty easy to find. I'm not out like gallivanting around anywhere else. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm I'm just here. <laughs> Uh, not that not that it's not okay if you do that, but I'm just saying, like, I'm only here. Are you trying um, to say I'm oh, still gosh. here? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm delirious. Um, anyway, there is a lot of cold medicine and the fact that it's almost midnight here. But anyway, um, yes, I'm here on the pop feed, Bells of Books. Andy and I have, don't make me say it right now, I'm going to jack it up. Um, Muppet Show. <laughs> the mu- the Muppet Pod. Okay. Yes. You can. I'll 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 let you just get away with that. Most sensational, inspirational, Muppetational podcast. You almost you almost got there, Miranda. I left you a, the word a, out. I. You left celebrational out, but you did. You did it was a good effort. Oh, 
Yeah, okay. I do this every time, guys. I mean, it's a fantastic podcast name, but whew, uh, it's hard for someone with ADHD. Um, <laughs> Lady in the Beard, of course, as well. What else do I do, guys? Is that it? I think I that's have, it. I mean, I think that's some, finally it. Like four is yeah, not enough. You, <laughs> yeah, you have some some pods that you never know could make a comeback. Who knows? They could. They could. Um, of course, um, it's kind of already been said, but I reiterate it because I said this on Balls with Books, so I wanted to say it again here. Um, I really want to encourage everyone that listens. If I think a lot of you that listen probably are, are in the Facebook group where we do the tournaments that Steve has been putting on. Andy was doing them before that, but they both put a lot of work into them. So I would love to see more people. And I told the Bells with Books listeners that I would love for them to come join the group because while I did say, and I don't think this is anything wrong, it is heavy um, on our wrestling fans, but it's supposed to be for everyone and it is for everyone. So I would like to see more of you there, more conversation. So please join us there. Yeah, always yeah. trying to keep people engaged in that group. Oh, for sure. Finding, like, you know, name your pick whatever out of this group. Like, anytime I find, like, an interesting, like, you know, discussion picture, so to speak, mm-hmm. whether it's sports, movies, whatever, I try to, you know, share it in there. That way, you know, let's let's get everybody in there. Get everybody in the conversation. Right. It's just that, that's the point of this group. It's not just, you know, to to listen. It's to, it's to participate. Yeah, and, and there's... Do. There's a lot of podcasts that have groups for participation, and I see others, like, really thriving. Not that ours isn't, but I, I I wonder if people are, like, afraid to join. And I'm basically, that's me saying, like, don't be afraid to join. Don't be afraid to pop in and be like, hi, I'm so-and-so, and I found you because I listened to this pod on the feed. You're welcome. Yeah. You know, like, not saying you tell us you're welcome. I'm saying you are welcome. Well, we're, we're, we won't be to that movie for a while. <laughs> but you are welcome. Yes. Um, for me, you know, yeah, this is my uh, my primary home with Steve, the video jukebox on the day, and Keithy Langston does that with us as well. Uh, anytime anybody wants to join, just let me know. Um, trying to get back into the swing with my other podcast. Uh, work has been mm-hmm. really busy for me. So uh, very tired at night and not have the energy to do some of the live watches. But definitely I have um, a cartoon pod scheduled to record. I have, I'm have i getting back to the Star Wars. I'm going to get back to the Pixar. Uh, I believe uh, Traders of the Lost Arcs uh, hopefully will be back in March. Um, and yeah, I, anything else that I, I'm working on, um, hopefully try and just get back into the swing of things with some of these and trying to get back to my, you know, those uh, pod blasts where I watch the cartoon shorts. I do want to get, um, you know, uh, the the uh, Disney 100 short uh, done before mm-hmm. um, the Oscars. So I'm going to look to do that soon. And then also I have my one wrestling show right now is who's next that's myself and logan crossland over on the place to be nation wrestling network all right so uh and check out the website everything else what Stephen miranda said yada 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 uh all right so that concludes this episode on treasure planet steve you are in the driver's seat for our next episode would you like to tell the listeners what that is Yes, so you mentioned, of course, we are going to be heading to the uh, to the Great White North, and we are going to be talking about a, uh, again, we kind of in this little stretch here where these, um, this one and the next one particularly are not, um, not 
that I will regard about. You know, maybe our opinions will change on it. But um, we are going to be talking Brother Bear. All right. Yes, with, uh, you know, Bob and Doug McKenzie as Moose. So that should be fun. Right? So, all right. For Steve Riddle and Miranda Berthold, I am Andy Atherton. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pop Goes the Classics. And we will see you again in the Great White North next time we're here. Koo-wick-a-koo-kick-a-koo. <laughs>